You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program. Today is the fourth day of June 2021. The guest call in line is 917-889-8827. And I am trying to get the chat room to open, but I am having issues with it. Um, I will see if I can get that to, to work. I don't know. Anyway, I've been up for a couple of hours at 630 
on Friday morning. And uh, I thought, well, why why lay in bed? And I don't want to go outside and do anything right now. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to do a radio show early in the morning since we don't really ever have any callers anyway. I figured I'll just do it early today since today is my day off. I don't know how to get this stupid studio to work. It's Everything is being stupid this morning. In fact, as soon as uh, it was live, uh, it kicked me off. So I had to call back in. Anyway, let's get into the reading today. Today we'll be reading The Conflict Between Dead and Living Prophets, Chapter 8 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5. And I will be the only one reading, since I'm the only one who is awake at my house right now. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I'll dedicate the program. We'll get right into the reading. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. We dedicate this time unto thee, Father, that we may understand some things that have gone on in the history of the church and the gospel. We thank thee, Father, for opening our eyes to our awful situation. We ask thee, Father, to forgive us of our sins, that we may come unto thee, that we may be tools in thine hands to bring about Zion's redemption. We ask for thy blessings to be upon us and upon this home that I am in at this time, that thine angels would be sentinels round about to protect this place, that the adversary would not have power here, that this radio show will be able to go out worldwide to the audience that is ready to hear it. We thank thee, Father, for all of our many blessings, and we ask thee for these things, <clears throat> for these blessings, and thank thee for all that thou hast given unto us. And say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Yeah, I'm just going to have a hard time with the studio today. I don't know what the deal is. Like, I'm trying to get it to work, and it just is not cooperating with me. Okay, finally. Got into the studio so I can see if there's any callers. Let me see if I can get this dang chat room to open. Oh, it says it's connecting. All right. The chat room is open. Let's see if it works. Yep, it's working. Okay, so we got the chat room open finally. Thank goodness. And uh, I'll just monitor that as I'm reading today. So it is a pretty long chapter. I should get right into the reading. It'll probably be a two-hour program. Pages 86 to 100 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, The Conflict Between the Dead and the Living Prophets. It would be a poor lighthouse that gave off a different signal to guide every ship entering the harbor. And quote, Spencer W. Kimball Conference Report, April 1976, page 7. A schism has developed within the church, not so much among the members as among the le its leaders, past and present. The contemporary leaders seem to have a little difficulty in re rationalizing their current position, even though it contradicts that of the inspired early leaders. 
But many members are asking questions, such as how can some leaders teach one thing and other leaders something just the opposite and both be right? Like the changing of the seasons, the church seems to take on different appearances with the passing of time. As Mormons, it is easy for us to see that there is something wrong with the following conflict. John the Baptist baptized people by immersion in the River Jordan. Others have come along since then, also claiming to be prophets, saying how we can now baptize by the sprinkling or pouring on the head or not at all. It is evident that they both cannot be true prophets. It is more difficult, however, for Mormons to recognize and admit that similar changes have occurred within the LDS Church in the last century. See 95 Thesis by the same author, and you can find that at OgdenKraut.com. Basically, Ogden Kraut took the 95 Thesis that Martin Luther nailed on the door in Wittenberg, Germany, on the chapel in the door in Wittenberg, Germany in the 1500s. And he took the same idea of 95 Thesis, but like, there's way more than 95 changes in the church. So it's kind of funny, as Ogden is going over different topics, he like has subcategories where he'll say, uh, this is topic number 24A, 24B, 24C, 24D, and then he'll go on to the next topic of change and uh actually it's kind of funny well it's not really funny okay so right now uh, i have five episodes trying to upload onto youtube they have been uploading for over 24 hours it is really slow it's a very long process but it, in the beginning one of those the beginning of it is the 95 thesis that I read years and years ago on the same radio program. If you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, you can listen to the old episodes. And this is like 200 plus episodes. Well, it's about 200 episodes ago. So, I mean, this is a while back that I read this stuff. Uh, Well, actually, it wasn't that long. I Well, it's been two years. Well, January of 2000 or of 2019. So, wow, yeah, it's been two years. So, anyway, but I read all of the 95 thesis for people to listen to. Um, but I would suggest going and taking a look at it yourself because it shows the uh, the scriptures and the early leaders as opposed to the modern-day leaders that contradict what the early leaders say and what the scriptures say. And uh, you're not going to get this kind of information by going to correlated church manuals because the church likes to whitewash and hide things. And there's more and more people finding out about these things. That's why so many people are leaving the church. And the church will say, well, they're not leaving the church. Bull. Yeah, uh, if you look at the statistical numbers at general conferences they give every year, they'll give you a certain number, 16 million whatever members, and then they'll tell you the units, which are branches and wards, 
And if you take the number and divide it into the other number, you got 535, I think, for the – well, I don't know. This last conference, the conference before, I think it was 535 members per ward. Well, if you're in Utah, you might think that that's legit. But go anywhere else, and you'll find out that that's not legit. And that's talking about branches and wards. And, like, it'd be interesting to find out how many branches there are as opposed to wards. Now, I have gone to LDS churches in the Orient and all over North America. As a truck driver, uh, I spent, after my mission, many, many, many years driving over the road. And I would... Uh, go to different branches and wards all throughout the country. I'd find a truck stop somewhere on Sunday morning, and I would call the the ward or the branch, and I would say, hey, I'm at this truck stop. Can somebody come down here and pick me up so I can go to church? And most, I would say all of the time, but I can't remember if there's ever been a time when they couldn't. But I think every single time somebody would – the clerk or the secretary or somebody would come and they would pick me up and I would get to go to church. And then usually it was kind of cool. Um, they would say, Hey, uh, you want to come back to our house and have some dinner with us? And it was kind of cool. Like my favorite one to go to that I got to go to more than once was in Edgewood, New Mexico, uh, east of Albuquerque. And this guy that went to this – and the, the truck stop wasn't too far from the church, but it was too far to walk. So anyway, this guy would come pick me up, and then he would take me back to his house with his family. And he built this whole house out of adobe, and it was really awesome. And I'll always remember that. Um, but there was like other places I'd go to as well. Anyway, but I've been all over North America, and I've never seen – more than 100 people in a church. I mean, no, that's not true because I've seen more than 100 people. But to have 535 people per ward or branch, it's just the numbers don't really match reality. I would say there were more like 45 million active members of the church as, as far as my being able to see what's going on. And I think that that's changed in the last couple of years. But people are finding out that the church has changed many things. And they're even open about some of the things that they changed. But over time, basically what they're doing is they want quantity. Because the more people that, that hear the message, the more people will join the church, and the more people will pay tithing, and then they'll be able to spread the message further, which is a lie, because what they're doing is they're taking all of this excess funds and they're putting it in the Enzyme Peak account uh, or other uh, investments, and they're not using it to, to, to help the members or to um, build the kingdom any different than they're already doing so i mean they uh they build up these big beautiful temples uh but where's the soup kitchens i know you can go to the bishop's storehouse but you have to you know trade something for that like my mom she would she would get welfare church welfare and uh they made us go to church for it 
So, I mean, there's always a trade-off, which is weird because when I was younger, I had a roommate that he was a ski bum, and so he would come to Utah in the wintertime, and then he would go to some other place and surf in the in the summertime. And he was all like, yeah, just go to the bishop and, uh, and tell them I need some help, and then uh, they will give me food. And you know what they did? They would always give him a full order. The single man that did not have a job, well, he did have a job. Uh, he would work at the snow resorts, but he would blow his money on drugs and other things. And uh, the bishop, at least when he lived with me, um, he was getting church welfare. He, 20-something years old, snow bum, ski bum, whatever you want to call him. And uh, I kicked him out of my house, or it was, I was living in an apartment in Murray, Utah. And uh, I kicked him out because I found drugs in his room. And I thought he was doing drugs because I thought I could smell something, but I wasn't sure. And my nose is shot. Uh, I don't have a very good sense of smell, but um, I thought he was doing drugs in the house and it turned out that he was. So, uh, you know, this drug addict that uh, gets these minimum wage jobs so he can go skiing and snowboarding and surfing, getting support from the church, and he thought that that was okay. And he never, they never asked him to go to church. I, I was going to church at the time. He was in our ward. He was not going to church. So, um, I don't know. Anyway, let's get back into the reading. We should ask ourselves, number one, would the Lord give two different and conflicting practices for any gospel ordinances? Number two, should any eternal ordinance, principle, or doctrine be changed, substituted, or rejected? Number three, has the Lord ever revoked any of his laws except in the case of the unworthiness of the people? Number four, when there is a conflict in doctrinal teaching, does it mean that mankind can be saved or exalted based on different laws, principles, and ordinances? Number five, if one prophet is teaching vastly different from another, doesn't it mean that one of them is wrong? The answer should be obvious. The Lord does not send several different gospel plans, neither does he send prophets that preach different doctrinal interpretations. Early church leaders continually emphasized the purity of the gospel and its eternal principles, but at the same time they recognized the weaknesses of the people. For example, Brigham Young explained, there is no clash in the principles revealed in the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants. And there would be no clash between any of the doctrines taught by Joseph Smith, the prophet, and by the brethren now, if all would live in a way to be governed by the Spirit of the Lord. We do not all live, all do not live so as to have the Spirit of the Lord with them at all times. And the result is some of them get out of the way. Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 329. William Phelps also observed that God and religion were, are, and always will be the same. Message and Advocate, March 1835, page 81. Thus, scriptures and the prophets 
dead and alive should all agree with each other if under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord. Even the living church authorities should be in agreement with others, as Brigham Young explained on the following two occasions. Quote, Brother Heber C. Kimball alluded to counseling men and women who come after they had been to me and said that they always received the same counsel I had given them. I never have known it to fail. That if they could, if they come to me and then go to Brother Heber, they will always get, they will get the same counsel all the time. And so they would from every one of the 12, from the high council, from the 70s, the high priest and every officer in the church, if every officer in the church would take the course that Brother Heber and I and a few others do. What is that? Never to give counsel unless you have to give it, have it to give. If you have counsel, give it because you can have no correct counsel except by the spirit of revelation. That is my standard. I have no counsel for a man unless I have the testimony of Jesus on the subject. Then, when the same man asks counsel of me and goes to Brother Heber, do you not see that if he acts on the same principle and gives counsel, it must be by the spirit of revelation, or he has no counsel to give? If it is not by that spirit, then then let the same man go to Brother Wells and ask his counsel on the same subject without letting him know that it has been to, that he has been to, bro, to Brother Brigham or Heber, and the Brother Daniel, Daniel eight twelve, will give the same counsel by the same Spirit. End quote. Journal of Discourses, Volume Five, Page One Hundred One. Adam days neither will they do now if all at if all would at all times be led by the spirit of salvation discourses of Brigham Young page 209. Brother Heber Benyon clearly, uh, that's Bishop Heber Benyon, clearly agreed with Brother Young, Brigham Young, and explained further, quote, we are told that the living oracles take precedent over all other authority, living or dead. We agree that the living oracles take precedent, provided they do not conflict with the dead oracles. And if, if it is true that the living oracles take precedent over all others, regardless of their disagreements with the dead prophets, then the saints must necessarily change their faith every time there is a change in the presidency to conform to the views of the new president. The mention of such an attitude is so absurd as to border upon the ridiculous. And quote, Gospel Problems by Heber Benyon, page 6. Now, let me just go back over this, okay? Because a lot of people... So, what does Satan do when he wants to change 
the meaning of things, he changes the meaning of words. And in order to understand what an oracle is, you have to go back to the ancient meaning of oracle. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, the word oracle means the word of God as given to the prophets that the prophets deliver to the people. It is the word of God that is the oracle, not the person. Now, over time, church leaders will say that they are the oracles. This is a false idea. It does not go along with the word of God and what the definition of the word of God is. An oracle is the word of God as delivered to the prophet, not the prophet themselves. So when you don't have living oracles, that means you don't have living revelation. You don't have any more thus saith the Lord revelation in the church, and we haven't had any more thus saith the Lord instruction from God since 1889, I think. Uh, there was a couple of revelations that were between 1880 and 1890, not the manifesto, that where God gave uh, instruction to to the 12th for the or to the first president. Actually, uh, it was uh, John, you think John Taylor and Wilfred Woodruff, where they saw Jesus Christ face to face, and he spoke to them and gave them instructions for the church. Now, Lorenzo Snow saw Jesus Christ outside of the Holy of Holies in the Salt Lake Temple, and uh, he gave him instruction to reorganize and to continue, but that he would not go back into the Holy of Holies because they had rejected his gospel. Because I'm in, the 18, or in 1890, they actually rejected a bunch of stuff. It wasn't just plural celestial marriage. There was a bunch of things that they did away with which they didn't do it by God. They did it because they were trying to play a game with the devil, and they lost the game. And they are paying the consequence through having no, no living oracles in the church today. So, I mean, it, it's a sad... When you look at the state of affairs in the church from 1832 until present time, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. In 1832, we were placed under condemnation for not treating the former revelations and uh, the Book of Mormon, you know, correctly. Uh, 1841, Jesus said we'd be cursed and rejected as a church with our dead. And he's talking about rejected from receiving the temple ordinances and the fullness of the priesthood. And then uh, in 1880 through 1890, Jesus told them to, to not, not give up any of the principles of the gospel and that he had not rescinded any of them, but they did anyway. And then uh, Lorenzo Snow, um, I think in 1902 or sometime around, I don't remember exactly when it was, but he came to Jesus, or he was in the... Okay, so Wilfred Woodruff had died in San Francisco from being poisoned to death by the Bohemian Club. Well, it was by a person in the Bohemian Club that he had offended. Anyway, but um, 
Sola Ramdas now is trying to reorganize and he's going into the Holy of Holies and he keeps going into the Holy of Holies and like repenting and trying to like have a conversation with with Jesus Christ because he wants to know what he should do. And as he's leaving the Holy of Holies in the or outside of the Holy of Holies, um, Jesus Christ is standing there and he says, uh, he says, tell them to reorganize the church, uh, reorganize the first presidency like he should do because he's going to be the president of the church and he's going to choose, uh, you know, probably two counselors. I don't know the, the specifics on that, but but Jesus says something. So the LBS church will, will tell you part of the story, but they don't want to tell you the full story. The full story is that Jesus Christ actually told them that he that he will not go back into the Holy of Holies um, because they have rejected his gospel. So, so you don't get any more. And like they they say, the Holy of Holies in the Salt Lake Temple is just uh, south of the Celestial Room. Now, of course. Brother Nelson is going to change everything around, so who knows what's going on in there right now. But so there's actually two holy of holies. There's one just south of the celestial room, and there's always big vases or vases with plants in front of the doors. The doors are blocked. The doors go into the anti room, and you can actually look through the glass window into the ante room and that's the room that you prepare to go into the holy of holies you go in there so you go from the celestial room into the anti room and then uh, as you go into that room just to the right there will be a door and that's where the holy of holies supposedly is now i know different because i've been in the true holy of holies but that's where they say it is but they've got. There's no other way to get in there. There's no doors to get in there outside of the celestial room, and those doors are blocked by heavy, heavy vases. I. They're they're stone vases. So and I was interested in that because I was like, this is not where I was. Okay, so in '95 I was taken up by the Spirit, and Jesus Christ showed me around the Salt Lake Temple, and I was baptized anti-Mormon Baptist at the time. Anyway, so he shows me around and he leads me through the temple and uh, he he leads me up into the middle tower on the east side of the temple under the angel Moroni. It's the highest room in the temple. And I when I walked up to the door, I looked in before I entered the room and I saw that there was an altar in the middle of the room facing east for one person uh, where you could kneel down, it was nice and plush. And then there was like uh, curtains that went around the room. And I guess the room was probably square, but it looked circular to me. And then there was these curtains that were hanging down from the on the walls all around the room. Very basic and simple room. And then um, if you look up on the in the middle tower on the east side of the temple. On the north and the south sides of the towers, there is actually a window on both the north and the south side of the tower that's to let light into that room that they say doesn't exist. So when Jesus Christ took me up to there and I entered into that room, it was like entering into love times infinity. 
It was a massive, powerful experience. And Jesus, or not Jesus, the Father spoke to me as I, and this is the first time I ever saw Jesus or ever was spoken to by the Father. Like, and it just surprised me. I mean, took me totally off guard. I was, I wasn't praying when this happened. I, I was just taken, poof, you know, kind of like uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, I think it was. Like, poof, like you have this massive experience and you're like, what? <laughs> uh, luckily for me, I wasn't blinded like Paul was. But anyway, so um, when I walked into that room, I heard the voice of the Father, and he told me a couple of different things. But one of the last things that he told me was that I would be the last prophet before the second coming, which really confused me. Because, like, I was anti-Mormon Baptist at the time. I believe Joseph Smith was deceived by the devil. Um, and now I'm in the presence of the Father and the Son in this place, in the temple, in Salt Lake, and getting this information. And I don't know what to do with it. And, in fact, I didn't know. I, I would always think, how in the world did all these things happen to me? You know, I mean, I saw the Father and the Son in the flesh, uh, in 2003, and then I've had other experiences, other things where I've been caught up in the spirit and other visions and other revelations. And I'm like, why are all these things happening to me? And it wasn't until 2013 when the father said, kneel down before me and ask me who you are. And then I found out who I am, why I was called, and why I was chosen, whatever, and what happened. And I was given a whole bunch of other information. And so I'm like, what? So, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, so you've got your living oracles, like revelations God has delivered to me to give to the people. Those are living oracles. Because I am still alive. I'm not a dead prophet. And, uh, and those, the oracles aren't. I'm not the oracle, but the church leaders today, they want to tell you that they are the oracle, and they're not at all, because they cannot be oracles. They can be prophets, but see, they want they want you to believe that they're the oracles because of these quotes where it talks about if you don't have the oracles in the church, then then the church is dead. And then so they have to say that they're the oracles because they don't want the church to be dead, even though it is dead. So in Matthew chapter 24, where the the eagles feed on the carcass of the are on the carcass of the church, what that imagery is is you have the elect of God who are feeding on the dead carcass of the church. They are trying to eat the meat of the gospel off the carcass but the church is dead. That's what that imagery is all about in Matthew chapter 24. Anyway, let's see here. I'll uh, get to the next quote here. If a dead prophet has been recognized as a true prophet and someone living disagrees with him, which one is true? Was the true prophet? 
But Ezra Taft Benson warned, beware of those who would pit the dead prophets against the living prophets, for the living prophets always take precedence. Teachings of E.T. Benson, Ezra Taft Benson, page 136. Now, see, he contradicts former revelation. He contradicts former prophets, and of course he's going to say that because he is a Babylonian businessman businessman who has hijacked the church. So if the living leaders contradict the former leaders, then they take precedence. Kind of like Constantine when he decided that sprinkling baptism was okay because even though John the Baptist baptized Jesus a certain way, we can do it this way because I'm the new guy or something. You know, I mean, it's just, it's lunacy. This is what happens when Babylonian businessmen and pagans hijack the true church of God. They say that what they say matters more than what the scriptures say. But it wouldn't be difficult to pit a dead prophet against a living one if they both taught the same gospel. It is often taught within the LDS church that the present prophets are more important than the dead, the dead prophets, and if both are actually true prophets of God, this would be an accurate statement. This idea was discussed in the days of Joseph Smith, as related by Wilfred Woodruff in 1897. I will refer to certain meeting to a certain meeting I attended in the town of Kirtland in my early days. At that meeting, some remarks were made that have been made here today with regard to the living oracles and with regard to the written word of God. The same principle was presented. When a leading man in the church got up and talked upon the subject and said, you have got the word of God before you here in the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants. You have the written word of God, and you who give revelation should give revelations according to those books, as what is written in those books is the word of God. We should confine ourselves to them. When he concluded, Brother Joseph turned to Brother Brigham and said, Brother Brigham, I want you to take the stand and tell us your views with regard to the living oracles and the written word of God. Brother Brigham took to the stand and took the Bible and laid it down, and he took the Book of Mormon and laid it down, and he took the Doctrine and Covenants and he laid it down before him, and he said, there is the written word of God to us. Concerning the word of God from the beginning of the world almost to our day. And now, said he, when compared to the living oracles, those books are nothing to me. Those books do not convey the word of God direct to us now, as do the words of, the pro- of a prophet or a man bearing the holy priesthood in our day and generation. I would rather have the living oracles than all the writ- writing in these books. That the, that the course he pursued, that was the course he pursued. When he was through, Brother Joseph said to the congregation, Brother Brigham has told you the word of the Lord, and he has told you the truth. Conference Report, 1897, page 22 and 23.
Of course, at that time, the written word of God and the spoken word of the prophets were one and the same. The reason for the living prophets being more important than the dead ones is, is because they help us with current circumstances and dangers. Orson Pratt explained, hold on, let me get a drink real quick here. Orson Pratt explained, it is equally clear that there are many duties which are limited in their nature and only require of such as, required of such as God may name or designate under existing circumstances. These general laws, which are universal in their application, revealed ever so often, though revealed ever so often, are always the same. They are as interchangeable as the great lawgiver in whom they originated, while those individual or circumstantial laws which are limited to the individuals for whom they are given are changeable in their nature. And quote Orson Pratt's works, page 123 and 124. Or on page 91. If you lived at the same time of Noah, his message would be more important to you than all other previous prophets. Each prophet may have revelations concerning the circumstances of the time and serve as warnings of destruction, wars, and plagues. However, the gospel principles would always be the same, and there would be no conflict among the prophets. Other, other often heard, irritating and incorrect statements repeated within the church are, what the early prophets said is no longer in force because they are dead. And that particular teaching was for their time. But what we as leaders say now is for our time. By this same reasoning, does this mean that the scriptures or the words of the dead prophets are dead and buried and not for our time? According to Orson F. Whitney, quote, What the Lord said to the Jews and the Nephites 2,000 years ago, or what he has said to the Latter-day Saints 50 or 60 years ago, has no force, whatever, at this time, unless it agrees with our present-day revelation. But they don't get any present-day revelation. They do not issue any, thus saith the Lord, revelations. They have no more addendum to the Doctrine and Covenants. Because they're dead prophets. The living prophets are dead prophets. Just like the dead prophets are dead prophets. <laughs> With the Lord's most recent instruction to his people through his chosen and appointed servants or uh, servants or servants. And they who ignore this fact are liable to get into trouble. It is the latest word from God that must be heeded in preference to any form of revelation, however, however true. Conference report, October 1916, page 56. Kind of like how Russell and Nelson's like everybody should get the vaccine. Even though we have evidence that Bill Gates and other uh, individuals are using the vaccine to, to depopulate the planet because of global warming, they say. that That's their justification for poisoning people using vaccines. 
Bill Gates in 2010 actually said from his lips that we can use health care and vaccines to depopulate the planet 10 to 15 percent. At that time, 7 billion people were on the planet. It was almost 7 billion, so we'll round up. 10 percent of 7 billion people is 700 million people dead because of vaccinations. 15 percent of 7 billion people is 1.5 billion people dead simply because of vaccinations. In 2003, uh, there was a television show called The Dead Zone, and I think it was episode 14 of season two. It's called The Plague, and you can watch this on Amazon Prime, where they talk about the COVID pandemic that is happening within this uh, small town and this school. And it's ridiculous, because they have to look the... They call themselves Luciferians because they believe Lucifer is God because in the Latin Vulgate, Jesus Christ is actually called Lucifer because the Latin Vulgate is a piece of trash. This, this uh, translation of the Bible is horrible. I, I could go into reasons why, but I won't. But they believe that Lucifer means bearer of light and truth. So so that means that Jesus Christ is the bearer of light and truth and that he is God. Lucifer and Jesus are the same person. Okay, so they call themselves Luciferians. Now what they're really doing is they're following a false spirit that pretends as an angel of light that he still holds the office and authority that he once held, but he fell and became a Satan and they are following the devil who tries to appear as, as God, the God of this world. That's all that's going on. And I could tell you stories about my interactions with the Luciferians that come and contact me because I understand these things and they want, they, well, I shouldn't get into that too much, but, um, and I never go to them, but they come to me. So anyway, but, um, they okay apparently i said something i wasn't supposed to say because they get kicked off again so um but go back to watch that on amazon prime if you have that service or if you want to see it go ahead maybe you could even look it up on youtube but they talked about the covid pandemic and they found out that the cure was hydroxychloroquine. Now, they did release this pandemic. It did come from that, that virology lab in Wuhan, China, which is only, I think, 15 kilometers from the wet market that they say that it originated at. Now, it originated from the, the Wuhan lab, and maybe it was placed in that place for it to be spread from there. Because patient zero actually came, or well, they they traced it back to the wet market, but it, it was something that escaped from the lab where they were testing, and they were making coronaviruses that were more deadly so that they could figure out how to cure them. Okay, now <laughs> they released this plague upon the people by their undoing, but they also had the cure. In fact, they they patented the coronavirus in 2017 and then Dr. Fauci, who is on the board of the Bill Gates 
uh, vaccine thing. So he's making 400 and something thousand dollars a year. He's the highest paid federal employee in the government, but he's also on the board uh, for the, for Bill Gates and their vaccine. And, uh, and Bill Gates has, has blatantly said, and it's still on YouTube, you can uh, go uh, look for Innovate to Zero. Just type in Innovate to Zero, Bill Gates, and you'll find the whole talk that he talks about. And he actually says this within, I think, the first 15 minutes of his talk, that if we use healthcare and vaccinations, we can decrease the population from our... Uh, 10 to 15 percent. That's what they're trying to do, and they're they're justifying it through global warming because the more people, the more, uh, you know, the more global warming and blah blah blah, whatever. So they release this 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 virus that will kill people, especially older people that are not necessary. Like, so it's the perfect the perfect plague. Okay, so. What this plague does is people who are not healthy, who are a drain on society, children and healthy people are not affected by this disease, not very often. In fact, not very many people are actually affected by this disease, but they also have this cure. It's a very, very inexpensive medication. It's called hydroxychloroquine. When President Trump, who is not part of their cabal of wicked evil, whatever, when he tried to say that this was the cure, they went crazy about how horrible he was for even suggesting blah, 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 right? Because they could actually make a lot of money on the vaccinations that they can't make on this generic pill called hydroxychloroquine. Now, the 70-something-year-old man, President Donald J. Trump, actually contracted the coronavirus. Now, he is within the older age ranges where it actually does kill a lot of people, but within three days, he was fine. And why was that? Because he knew the high... isolate yourself so you will get sicker. The states that didn't do that, they didn't have as high of a toll 
Now, New York had a massive toll in the beginning, but now they've leveled out. Now all the people that should have died are dead. And now they're like, look, we did such a good job. No, they didn't. They locked down their people and made it so that they would die. Now, if somebody of the, or some of the elite actually get the virus, they've got the cure already. It's hydroxychloroquine. It's not the, the vaccinations. They want you to take the vaccinations because they're trying to depopulate the world, uh, world population. That's all that's about. And you have President Nelson pushing vaccinations. We want to be good world society members. No, we don't. God's people should separate themselves from the world. Joseph Smith said that it is not given for the people to lay up one dollar to build to building up the devil's kingdom. But now you've got this this man who proclaims to be a prophet, seer, and revelator who has absolutely no fruits of actually being a prophet, seer, and revelator trying to get people to take the vaccinations, which if you do a little bit of research, you can find out that they're actually using the vaccinations to kill you. But most people, they will just follow the prophet because that's what they've been brainwashed to do. And that with the... Uh, the poisoning and the calcification of the pineal gland through fluoridation of the water. People don't have spiritual uh, connectivity like they used to, and so they follow this man who is not a prophet to death. That's all they're doing. Because Babylonian businessmen have hijacked the church. And Jesus Christ, he said that they were condemned in 1832, that they were uh, rejected in 1841, or that they would be if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, and they didn't do what they were supposed to do in Nauvoo, and they were kicked out of Nauvoo, and they continued to, to reject the word of God more and more, even though he has striven with them to tell them, don't give up the principles of the gospel. Don't give up plural celestial marriage. Don't give up the United Orders. Don't give up the law of adoption. Don't give up the Council of 50. And they just continue to capitulate to the world instead of following God. Now, in Genesis chapter 9, it says that when a people live all that I have commanded, then Zion will be redeemed. If the church will not do as they have been instructed they are rejected. And the early leaders of the church said this over and over and over again, and now the modern-day leaders that don't do as God has commanded, that do not have the the gift or the fruits of being prophets, seers, and revelators, they they tell you that that their word is more important than the the dead prophets. I would love to see a resurrected Thomas Monson and, uh, it, you know, when they're younger, you know, the resurrection, uh, you'll be resurrected probably around your 30th birthday about what you would look like when you're 30. That's speculation. But so Mr. 30-year-old 
Thomas Monson and Mr. 30-year-old Gordon B. Hinckley and Mr. 30-year-old um, Hunter and uh, Kimball and all these guys against 30-year-old Joseph Smith and 30-year-old Brigham Young and 30-year-old John Taylor and Wilfred Woodruff and Lorenzo Snow. And I would love to see them all resurrected in a cage match. Because these men are enemies to each other. These new guys are enemies to the truth. And the old guys were stronger. I mean, Joseph Smith, he spent his time clearing wooded timberland for a forest, and they had one of the larger, not the largest farms, but a larger farm in the area, and they had to cut the timber and pull the stumps, and guess who got really strong? Joseph Smith. Very strong. And this whole idea that he couldn't lift the plates, first of all, the plates were a, a gold alloy. They weren't real gold. They had gold appearance, so they weren't as heavy as what some people would say they were, but this man could run with uh, with these heavy plates because he was strong. I mean, soldiers in the military today, they have packs on their backs, and they carry stuff that's way more heavy than the golden plates were. But then anti-Mormons will be like, well, that is just a lie because Joseph couldn't have done that. Don't tell me what Joseph could or couldn't have done. First of all, he was physically strong. But second of all, God, God helped him. Like I've been in fights before where God's helped me. And I do things and I have strength that I don't even know. Afterwards, as the adrenaline rush is wearing off and because I hate fighting, I, I will always uh, cry and throw it, but I don't like to fight, but I won't, I will defend myself. So I've been in lots of fights. Like I said, if you're an enemy to the, to the devil's kingdom, he comes after you and he uses weak-minded individuals to do that. But I've done things in fights where I just, I can't even, I'll sit there on the ground or whatever. And I will be like, how did I do that? Or or I'll be running away from the scene before the police come because I don't want to be arrested because I have been arrested before, but then I've always had the charges dropped because witnesses always say, no, he was starting it. He was just, or this other guy started it. He was just defending himself. I have, I've lost two fights in my life. I've been in hundreds of fights. And the two fights that I lost, I was a kid. In my first fight, I was in kindergarten. A third grader was pounding on my back, and I uppercut him and broke his nose. So, yeah, I've been in lots of fights. Anyway, but let's get back into the reading because me and my tangents. Now, I have a friend that loves my tangents because he says that I always answer questions that he is asking and uh, But he doesn't ask me. He just asks God, and then I answer him for him. Now, my friend, I know you're listening. I know you've taken the vaccinations. I pray that God will heal you like he healed Paul from the viper that came out of the wood. 
and I hope that he does that for you. But I know that you did it in ignorance, and I know that even if you do die later on because of the vaccination, that you will still go to God. And my friend knows who I'm talking to. So, and in fact, this world, when you've been in the presence of God, this world is nothing. It really is nothing. It's better to be there than to be here. But we don't go there willingly. We go there when it's time to go there, right? So I want to go home, but I want to stay where my kids are. And I understand that completely. And my wife and my everything, you know. So anyway, getting back into the reading. Does this mean that the teachings of Christ are no, of no force because he was crucified and buried? Does it mean that the living president of the church can change doctrines, principles, laws, and ordinances, and even the order of heaven, because those established that, that established them are dead? And see, the rabbis did the same thing. They have the same kind of thinking. They think that because they are the living word on the earth, that their words are more important than the dead words, and even more important than God himself. They actually believe this. I study with the rabbis. I listen to their teachings. This is the crap that they believe. It's the apostasy that Satan gets into their minds to tear them down and to make them become false churches. The LDS church is following what every other church who is true has followed in the past. The following is an example of such a teaching. And we're on page 92 for those of you who are following along. I recall when President McKay announced to the church that the first council of 70 were being ordained high priests in order to extend their usefulness and to give them authority to act when no other general authority could be present, I went down to Phoenix, Arizona, and I found a 70 who was very much disturbed. He said to me, didn't the prophet Joseph Smith say that this was contrary to the order of heaven to name a high priest as president of the first council of the 70 when they were named in the beginning? And I said, well, I had understood that he did, but had you ever thought that that was contrary to the order of heaven in 1840 might not be contrary to the order of heaven in 1960? You see. He had not thought of that. Bull. Oh, I hate these false prophets. He again was following the dead prophet. And he was forgetting that there was a living prophet today. Yeah, Babylonian businessmen who have no fruits of actually being a true prophet, pretending to be prophets, seers, and revelators, when they are nothing more than Babylonian businessmen who change the truth. That's all they are. And I hate them. I hate them because they are liars and deceivers. They are wolves in wool suits. You know that whole thing about sheep and sheep's clothing or wolves in sheep's clothing? Or you know that sheep have wool and that those Babylonian businessmen are wearing wool suits, right? The imagery is perfect. They are wolves who devour the saints in wolf suits or sheep's clothing. 
the imagery is exactly perfect. Hence the importance of our stressing, stressing that the word living, Harold B. Lee, the place of the living prophet, follow, follow the living prophets by Brent L. Pop, Larry E. Dahl, and Walter D. Bowen, page 205. And these guys, these guys who, who study the gospel, I don't understand how they can do what they do. Uh, but here's what they do, okay? They study the truth and today. But they worry the so
just the general seventies and the church sure. is not so So after the church is about whatever for the first they just released the church in the patriarch of the patriarch of the patriarch of the patriarch of the they just got and were had to be not thank you my turn And called into that statement. Okay, you have this way to a president of the church. Suppose waiting for this mom is right in the church. Because he is a, uh, he is coming to something that he is, and I hate him. He is a devil, and because you were taught to love him, but he is a devil. So, all right, let's see here. We should never really consider past prophets as dead, dead because they are not. In a revelation to Wilfred Woodruff, the Lord said, the, the eyes of the Lord and heavenly hosts are watching over you and your acts. Revelation, uh, and this is um, a book compiled by Ogden Kraut as well. You can go read it. It's called Revelations 1880-1890, page 65, and it talks about the different revelations that were received during that time that the church has tried to sweep under the rug and get rid of because they don't want you to know about them because they did something different than what they were told to do because they're down, these damn devils have hijacked the church. What do, That does not sound like they are dead, nor can they be very far away. According to Joseph Smith, the spirits of the just are exalted to a greater and more glorious work. Hence, they are blessed in their departure to the world of spirits enveloped in flaming fire, they are not far from us and and know and understand our thoughts, feelings, and motions. 
emotions, I guess, and are often pained therewith. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 326. I wish Joseph Smith could come back and kick some butt. I wish he'd come back and kick some butt. Bishop Coyle said that he would. He would come back and release every Jack Blast one of them. And I don't know if Bishop Coyle's prophecies are true or not, but but I wish he would come back and kick some butt. It must, you know, they say that uh, he must be turning in his grave. Yeah, trying to get out because he can't do anything about it. But guess what? God can send a prophet, a witness, to you to get you to repent and I am that prophet but you won't listen Nephi quoting Isaiah said quote should not a people seek unto their God for the living to hear from the dead second Nephi chapter 18 verse 19 this is certainly not possible for the whole restoration of the gospel is based upon the dead who returned to bring about the restoration. See Doctrine and Covenants section 110. Many early brethren concurred with this doctrine, such as, now this record is as if one spoke from the dead. It is the voice of the ancient dead prophets who once inhabited this great continent. It is the voice of the dead to the living, a warning voice, the everlasting gospel in all its plainness and purity speaking out of the ground, whispering out of the dust, just as this passage of uh, Scripture declares. Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 285. And Orson Pratt was talking about Isaiah chapter 29, which talks about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, out of the ground and out of the dust, as one that hath a familiar spirit and and that Isaiah chapter 29 actually says that this book will be given, will be on the earth in a future day. And then he gives a um, an indicator that we could look for a sign that Lebanon would be esteemed as a forest. Now in 1948, Lebanon planted one tree for every Jew killed in the Holocaust. So six million trees planted in a very small country about the size of Los Angeles. Prophecy fulfilled. Coming forth of the Book of Mormon is fulfilled. Ezekiel chapter 37, where it talks about the record of the tribe of Joseph and the record of the tribe of Judah. Not they spoke predictions from the general. It shows they live only in the record in the doctrine. I hope that they have been. And as the gospel, 
Yeah. With the prop, I know immune. Joseph the Great that's the instrument that from God service the work I'm sorry the work of God turning up to know that Joseph Smith came back with Jesus Christ to give him instruction on not to do away with plural celestial marriage. But right here, Moses Thatcher, who was a leader in the church, talked about it, and he expected that you understood and knew about it, but see, they have whitewashed and they have hidden the truth from you. So you don't know what he's talking about, but I do. Because I I read the revelations. The question could be asked today: Are the current church leaders communing with the earlier ones and speaking with the same voice and touch, teaching the same doctrine? No, they're not. That's my uh, that's my uh, little interjection. A while ago, a state president called a member into his office and, among other things, asked him about his loyalty to the leaders of the church. Remember, the member replied that he believed that sometimes they contradicted the early leaders, the scriptures, and sometimes even the word of the Lord. The state president responded that he should always follow the present leaders of the church because they are being brainwashed cultists. That's all these people are. They're cultists. Then he asked, who would you follow if president of the church said one thing and the Lord said something else? The member replied, I think their views should be the same. Answer the question. I would follow the Lord. No, you should follow the present leaders of the church, he retorted, because they're devil. These people... You don't know what they're doing behind closed doors. 
I drive down Highway 10 every stinking night that I work. I drive a coal truck. In the middle of the night, multiple times a week, at the Huntington Steak Center in Huntington, Utah, the parking lot will be full of cars at 3 and 4, 2, 3, 4 in the morning. And they'll have an Emory County Sheriff or two sitting in the parking lot right off the road. What the hell are they doing in the steak center at 2, 3, and 4 in the morning with law enforcement patrolling the perimeter? You don't know what is going on right below, or you do. You absolutely do, and you are part of the problem. You think that you're doing God a service when you're doing Satan's bidding. There is so much crap in this church that needs to be cleansed. You know what? Take the damn vaccination, please. Because if you're part of the problem, you're part of the terrors that need to be taken out. I have no problem with you taking the vaccination. Be my guest. Page 95. These situations, if not so serious, are almost humorous. Apparently, some leaders feel that they have more to say about how the church is operated than the Lord himself. The Church of Jesus Christ today is not run by Jesus Christ, but the living leaders of the church. Another example of this point of view was described 20 years ago by Elder William G. Bangader, assistant to the Twelve. Quote, on an occasion, again many years ago, when I was called to be a stake president, Elder Mark E. Peterson of the Council of the Twelve interviewed me searchingly as to my worthiness to serve, and he persisted with one question. Brother Bangader, do you believe the gospel? I responded that I did insofar as I understood it. He said, no. I mean, do you believe the gospel according to President Joseph Fielding Smith? And quote, The Enzyme, May 1975, page 39. A funny thing about Marky Peterson, so he was an avid racist, and they wanted to give the blacks the priesthood. So they sent him to Brazil because in order to change things in the church, you actually have to have a unanimous decision. And they knew that they couldn't get it out of him, so they sent him away so they could have a unanimous decision. Okay, that's not how you do it, but that's how they did it. That's what they did, you know, because they knew that they that he would never, ever allow the Canaanites to hold the priesthood. And it's kind of funny, in Zechariah 14, chapter 14, in the millennium, it says that there will be no, no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord. It's the last verse. Go look it up. It's talking about the millennial day. There will be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord, but you you let them into the temple in 1978 because you're not racist or whatever. You know what? Um, Jesus Christ is a racist. God the Father is a racist. He's the one that created the races. 
there's a specific reason he did that. He didn't just do it because of whatever. And, and people who, you know, hold to the belief that the Canaanites shouldn't be allowed in the temple, do it on doctrinal authority from the scriptures themselves. And there will be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord. And Mar- Marky Peterson understood this. But they wanted to give the blacks a priesthood, so guess what they did? They sent him away so they could have a so-called unanimous decision. Anyway, let's see here. And just because that that is actually a thing doesn't mean you should be rude or mean to people. I just got to clarify that. Um, you treat I I really like Martin uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, when he said you treat people by the content of the character, not by by their skin color or whatever, however you said it. Yeah, you do. You should always treat people and judge people according to who they are individually. I've met a lot of trash people who are white, black, Hispanic, and whatever, and I've met a lot of good people of all races as well. So, all right. In other words... Elder Peterson is saying that there is a different gospel with each church president. The difference between the living and the dead prophets are certainly growing, but in in both variety and intensity. Many members are brought into the bishop's or state president's office, and one of the first questions asked is, do you support the president leaders of the church without any reservation? See, and this is one of the things that my state president, he got very upset at me in, in uh, Vermont. I'd never met the guy before. He tried to give, uh, get me to say that I sustained President Thomas S. Monson. And I said, I sustained him as the president of the church, but I don't sustain him as a prophet, seer, and revelator because he doesn't have any of the fruits of being a prophet, seer, and revelator. But I do sustain him and support him as president of the church. Oh, my goodness. You should have seen that man go from a white man to a red man in about two seconds. Uh, That was not the answer he wanted to hear because they're a cult, and they want to control your thoughts and your actions. And if you don't fall in line with what they want you to do, then uh, you're out. So whatever. And goddamn every single one of them. No, he will. And he has. They're damned. All right, let's see here. Temple recommends have been withheld. Members put on probation or even excommunicated because simply because they have disagreed with current church leaders. It seems as if more disciplinary action is taken because of dis- differing opinions than because of sin. Yep. Yep. And the one who sins sustains the president of the church they don't do anything to them you know they can be an adulterer or an adulteress no problem they don't have to worry about being excommunicated but as soon as you say that you don't believe that the the new guy in charge is the is a prophet you're out you'll get x for that in two seconds flat some bishops and stake presidents have been so bold as to say that if Brigham Young were alive today and taught the doctrines he did then, they would excommunicate him, and no doubt they would. They blindly following 
but blindly following the brethren can be bring serious consequences as the following of World War II story the following World War II story illustrates. Quote, a woman, even the mother of four small children, had been newly widowed. Her husband, young and handsome, whom she loved more than life itself, had been killed during the final days of the frightful battles in their homeland of East Prussia. She and her children were forced to flee to West Germany a distance of a thousand miles. The weather was mild as it began a long and difficult trek on foot, constantly being faced with the dangers from panicky refugees and marauding troops was difficult enough. But then came the cold of winter with the accompanying snow and ice. Her resources were meager. Now they were gone. All she had was her strong faith in God and, and in the gospel as revealed to the Latter-day, uh, the Latter-day Prophet Joseph Smith. And then one morning, the unthinkable happened. She awakened with a chill in her heart. The tiny form of her three-year-old daughter was cold and still. And she realized that death had claimed her. With great effort, the mother prepared a shallow grave and buried her, buried her precious child. Death, however, was to be her companion again and again and again on the journey. Her seven-year-old would perish, and then her five-year-old. Her despair was all-consuming. Finally, as she was reaching the end of her travels, the baby died in her arms. She had lost her her husband and all her children. She had given up all her earthly goods, her home and even her homeland. Thomas Monson, Conference Report, October 1994, pages 88 and 89. Okay, I hate Thomas Monson because he brings up these tearjerker stories and you're like, oh, I love so much. It makes me cry. What does that have to do with anything? This woman was affected by a war started by a bunch of Babylonian business bankers who financed both sides and caused the conflict in order to make money. That's how these wars start. God had nothing to do with them. And she had faith in Joseph Smith. Why didn't she have faith in Jesus Christ? And what does this gospel story, what does this story have to do with gospel or a general conference other than Thomas Monson's famous tell you his stories that make you cry crap I don't know but Ogden's going to give us some of his commentary on it I'm just telling you this like why why was this part of general conference that was actually two years before I converted so I probably never heard well 
No, I probably did because I actually had, when I was an over-the-road truck driver, I had every conference on audio tape from like 1970 all the way to current times. And as I was driving along, I would listen to them. And you know what? I loved listening to Marky Peterson and Bruce R. McConkie and LeGrand Richards and these guys. I loved listening to them, even though they piss me off today. Cause, I mean, yeah, they know a lot, but see, they mingled their ideas with the scriptures, and then you're like, oh, I love it because they said a scripture, but then they contradict former revelation. And uh, One cannot help but wonder if this family had followed the teachings of the early church and gathered to Zion with the body of the saints before it was too late, if this terrible sacrifice could have been avoided, but they had obeyed their current leaders who taught them to stay in their homeland. Yep. Joseph Smith had emphasized all that the prophets, all that the prophets that have written goes directly to show that it consists of the work of the gathering. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 83. And if you want to read a really good book about the gathering of Israel, guess who wrote a book about it? His name was Ogden Kraut. And he goes into more details about this kind of circumstances. You see, the gathering of uh, of the saints, that was never rescinded either. But during the uh, Reed Smoot hearings at Congress, the church was told not to gather any more saints. So then they started this false doctrine campaign that Zion is wherever you're at, and you should stay where you're at because that is where Zion is at, which directly contradicts what Joseph Smith taught as part of the Restoration. You should be gathering. Satan wants to keep you in a scattered state so that you are not powerful as a people. And if this woman had gathered like, and this husband, and these children had gathered like they were told to do in the, uh, the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, he wouldn't have been killed. She wouldn't have lost all of her children. This story can be told countless times. Countless times. Because people are disobedient to what the prophet of the restoration taught. The only one of them that was actually the Lord's anointed before myself. But the people were disobedient. And they paid the consequences of dying in Babylon because they wouldn't listen to to God's prophet, his anointed prophet. One of the most important points in, in the faith of the church of the Latter-day Saints is the gathering of Israel. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 92. There is no other way for the saints to be saved in these last days than by gathering and this gathering together of all the saints must must take place before the Lord comes to take vengeance upon the ungodly. Teachings of the prophet, Joseph Smith, page 193, 
And he is the only one of the Lord's anointed who actually was the Lord's anointed from his day until now because the church was rejected as with the you know section one twenty four rejected as a church with your dead. Now you can be prophets, you can be seeing Jesus Christ and all kinds of other things, but guess what? Unless God has anointed you with his own hands, as he did to Joseph Smith and to myself, they are not the Lord's anointed. And in fact, these new leaders are nothing more than con men. Numerous other statements by the early leaders made it very plain that that it was a commandment from the Lord. See Doctrine and Covenants section 29, 33, 39, 45, 84, 110, and 133 verse 7. And if you want, I I posted the text to this at, at uh, facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You want the references, you can go find them there. During a financial depression in 1896, the Utah church leaders suggested that the saints in foreign lands remain there until the depression was over. But unfortunately, they never changed their instructions back to the gathering to gathering to Zion, which resulted in the unnecessary misery and death of many saints in World Wars I and II. Just before World War II, most of the church leaders were still counseling the saints to stay in those foreign countries. Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, Our building of foreign temples is to encourage the saints to stay in their own countries. Because we don't want those dirty foreigners in this country, see? Just kidding, he didn't say that. Um, but that's Desert News, October 17th, 1936. And Heber J. Grant instructed, we advise you to counsel the missionaries that the people who have fairly good positions in their homeland remain where they are. Messages of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 269. And from Bruce R. McConkie, we are becoming a world church. Every nation is the gathering place for its own people. Deseret News, September 2nd, 1972. We're on page 98. And uh, I am going to take a little break. Oops. And we're going to see if we have any callers because I want to hear somebody else talk for a minute. Um, we're probably going to have to go into overdrive today, by the way. But let me just see. I'll pull up my uh, – and no, we don't have anybody in here. But uh, let's see here if I can get this thing to work. Intro into the Torah. Introduction music. School of the Prophets. You know what? Okay, we don't have anybody in the in the call room. Oh, I guess I'll just finish reading this. Well, 
Well, I don't know if I'll finish or not. Uh, we've got seven minutes left on the reader program, but that could be an hour of me reading because I interject so much into the reading. But we'll go on. Go on. We're on page 98 for those of you who are reading along. And just so you know, in case you didn't figure it out, the phone lines are open. The phone number is 917-889-8827. That is for anyone to call with your questions on Mormonism. That's 917-889-8827. Thus, the European saints who were caught in World War II suffered the consequences of following the brethren. What is even worse, Mormons were killing other Mormons because they disobeyed the command of the dead prophets to gather to Zion. This doctrine of gathering is only one of many that the leaders have changed during the years. They have been a few re- there have been a few recent leaders who have been aware of this fact that some of the new teachings conflict with those early prophets, and they have tried to warn the saints. J. Reuben Clark observed, I want to say to you, brethren, I am not professing any spirit of seership or prophecy. I am only going on the lessons which history has taught me. But I will tell you, we are beginning to follow along the course of the early Christian church. So long as that church was persecuted from without it, prospered, it prospered, but then it began to be polluted from within. The church began to wither. There is creeping into our midst, and I warn you, brethren, about it, and I urge you to meet it, a great host of sectarian doctrines that have no place among us. The gospel in its simplicity is to be found in the revelations, the teachings of the prophet and the early leaders of the church. We shall make no mistake if we follow them. We must not liberalize And I put that term in quotes, our teachings. We must accept them as God gave them to us, and there must be among us a unity in faith. Immortality and Eternal Life by Mel, whatever course of study, General Priesthood Meeting, April 8th, 1950, Volume 1, page 156. Oh boy, and now uh, Mr. Bruce R. McConkie, he had an interesting solution to the prog- problem. Let me see if I can conjure his voice. <laughs> Forget everything that has been said or that, or what President Young or President George Q. Cannon or whomever has said in, the days, in days past that is contrary to the present revelation. We spoke with a limited understanding and without the light and knowledge that that now has come into the world. 
All are alike, and uh, that's unquote. All are alike unto God. BYU speech, nineteen seventy-eight, and actually. I can hear his voice in my head because I've listened to him so many times, but I know I was not spot on with that. So, sorry about that. Also recorded in Priesthood under the title The New Revelation on Priesthood by... uh, I don't know. Page uh, 132. I think that's... uh, I don't know. Anyway... He is saying that early leaders spoke with a limited understanding and without the light that the gospel is only partly restored. But we know, but we now have it in its fullness. Really, when when did you get those revelations and visitations by the early prophets and Jesus Christ Himself? Oh, never. Then how is it fully restored when it wasn't restored then? Which I agree, it wasn't restored fully then. But what manifestations have? Fulfilled it now. You can't point any, Brucey boy. So I don't know why you think that you're going to lift yourself up above the dead prophets. Ugh, I don't know. But when he said, "Forget everything from uh, everything that Brigham Young has said in his in days past," it is very offensive to many saints as it is the same of accusing him of teaching false doctrine that should be forgotten. When today's leaders speak so disparagingly of dead prophets, they are really labeling their teachings and doctrines as dead also. In effect, they are saying the past gospel is different from today's gospel, that it can change with each new church president. They have made the rod of iron into a rod of rubber so that it can be twisted and bent in any way that they desire. In reality, however, the Lord does not change. It's men that change. It it has always been the case that with the passage of time, fallible, weak, and insignificant mortal men think He can improve on the gospel of God. But the prophet Joseph Smith said, Now taking it it for granted that the scriptures say what they mean and mean what they say, we have sufficient grounds to go on and prove from the Bible that the gospel has always been the same. The ordinances to fulfill its requirements the same and the officers to associate or officiate the same, and the the signs and the fruits resulting from the promise, the same. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 264, page 100. Therefore, is there not good reason to be alarmed when men try to make changes in the gospel? Are we out of bounds by refusing to accept, accept some new modernization? modernized version of the gospel principles. Is it wrong to admonish men to make men who make changes in the eternal principles of the everlasting and unchangeable gospel? If there is a conflict in the teachings of those who are dead with those who are living, it would be wise to make a very careful study and who is telling the truth rather than on who is still alive. 
So I'm going to preview the next chapter, chapter nine, starting on page 101 of Holy Priesthood volume five. And that, that chapter, chapter nine is the gift of prophecy and revelation. I'm going to look real quick and see if anybody's called in yet. Nope. Nobody's called in. Wah, wah, wah. All right. Let's see here. Nobody in the chat room. Chat rooms suck. Like, I need to put a, you know what, I need to put a computer up when I'm doing the chat room because I think every time my phone closes, it closes the chat room. So, I don't know. Anyway, let's get into the preview because we only have a couple of minutes left in the live streaming portion of the radio program anyway. Uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827 if anybody wants to call in. At this time, with any questions on Mormonism or whatnot, the phone lines are open. It is 917-889-8827. And if we have a caller, I will take the call after this short preview. We're reading basically one page. It's a little bit longer than one page, but pretty much one page. The Gift of Prophecy and Revelation Now it was the custom among the Nephites to appoint for their chief captain someone that had the spirit of revelation and also prophecy. 3 Nephi chapter 3 verse 19. If all the nations and churches selected leaders who had the gift of prophecy and revelation, what a great world it would be. The less revelation received, the more corrupt the world becomes. The prophet Joseph Smith said, quote, We can see that the doctrine of revelation far transcends the doctrine of no revelation. But one truth revealed from heaven is worth all the sectarian notions in existence. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 338. When the prophet says, Thus saith the Lord, people can have a great deal of trust and confidence in that prophet. We never suffered ourselves to go into any important measure without asking Brother Joseph to inquire of the Lord in relation to it. Such was our confidence in him as a prophet, that when he said, Thus saith the Lord, we were confident it would be It would be as he said. And the more we tried it, the more confidence we had. For we never found his word to fall into into a single instant, or fail in a single instant. Sorry. Oh, I've been up for four and a half hours. It's 8.30, and uh, I feel like I need to go take a nap. (laughs) Anyway, but that was Alexander... McCray, Desert News, November 1st, 1854. So let me just check one last time to see if we have anybody who has called in. And no, we have not. And we only have four. Seriously. (laughs) The chat room did disconnect because I 
got out of that screen. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So um, that's the end of that for today. And uh, I will uh, just uh, play the music. And then we'll be back on Monday because this is the Friday program. Basically, what I did today was... So it's so weird. I have such a hard time staying awake all night long when I'm driving. I drink lots of energy drinks, right? And then yesterday, after not having a 34-hour reset, which if you're a truck driver, you understand what that means, um, I took 24 hours. No, wait, let me think. Yeah, I took 24 hours off last week on Saturday. And that's it. And in order to reset my 70-hour rule, I have to take 34 hours off. But I can roll my 70 over a period of eight days, which is what I've been doing for the last two weeks. So I I was trying to push towards the weekend, but I just am done. All right? So yesterday afternoon, I realized I wasn't sleeping very well and I was having issues and I was already tired and I probably could have done it, but I was like, nope, I'm done. So I, I texted my boss and I said, I need to take tonight and tomorrow night off. And he's all, I need more notice than this. I'm like, dude, I've worked two weeks straight. You know, I, I don't know what you expect from me. And, and I drive at night. Okay, so I guess we're going into complaining time story hour with Mark Walter. I drive at night. It is hard as hell to sleep during the daytime. I like driving at night. I would rather drive at night than in the daytime. But don't expect me to be consistent. I want to be consistent. I want to work the days that I'm supposed to work. I would like to work six days a week, every single week, and never have any problems. But the fact of the matter is, it's hard to sleep in the daytime. And even though I can make it work, it doesn't mean that I'm not tired all the time. And then the other thing, too. Okay, so, so yeah, I've been driving for 25 years. This broad gets her CDL from Castledale and has never driven a truck before. They give her a day shift truck. She had to have seniority to have day shift physicians. But no, and I've seen them do this over and over and over again. I, I could actually make more hours if I work during the day and more money, even though I get paid a little bit more at night per load. I can make more money in the daytime because it's more consistent. But in the wintertime, I have to be nights because I have to be awake during the day or not wake, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm so sick and tired of everything. I just want to quit my job completely. But how am I supposed to do that? We never have any money. I told my wife that we should go buy another air conditioner because they're selling one up in Logan, and we have a hybrid, you know. So, yeah, it does cost a little bit of gas to go up that far. But somebody's selling a 14,000 BTU air conditioner for pretty cheap for 300 bucks. But we don't have any money, even though I work my damn knuckles to the damn bone all the time. We never have any money. I'm so sick and tired of not having any money. 
and working all the time and I never have any money and I, I what do I have in this house that is mine that, that I enjoy? I do the radio show because God told me to. So I have to work doing that. I work my butt off doing the other things to provide for the family. Like it's my day off and what am I gonna do? I don't know, maybe chores because there's nothing in this house that makes me happy as far as like what is my pleasure. My friend Kurt, he actually has video games. I can't stand video games. But I don't I don't know. I just tired of so much. Anyway, not like anything that you guys can do about it, but uh, it just pisses me off. I, I'm like, let's go pick up this air conditioner because it's hot. And she was complaining last night about how hot it is. And I've got an air conditioner in my window that I've had for like 15 years, and somehow it still puts out kind of cold air, which I'm really happy about. And then we have one in my daughter's room. But this house doesn't have air conditioning. And I remember her last year in 2019 when we first came into the house. She was like, oh, it's not that hot in here. It, it's kind of nice. It's probably because it has really good insulation. Now we live here and it's like dead hot all the time in the, in the summertime, in the daytime. But we don't have money to... Uh, We would have money to uh, to get an air conditioner, I guess, because we never have money, even though I work my ass off all the time. So, whatever. Anyway, thank you for listening to the program. I hope you guys do have a good weekend, and we'll I will be back on on Monday. Well, we'll see how it all works out. I don't know. I, my daughter has a baseball game on Monday around eight o'clock at night. I guess. I don't know. All right, well, whatever. We'll talk to you later. Bye.